All right, good evening, everyone. So it's uh, a schus to continue in our journey in Sefer Tehillim. So we're going to go a little bit out of order. Tonight, the Mirat Hashem, we're going to jump back a little bit to Kapitel Mem Vav, chapter 46. So our shir, actually our series is dedicated by the Engelsberg, Dinovitzer, and Steinberg families, Le'ilu Nishmas, Harad Yitzchak, David, Ben Meir, Aryeh Zichron Levracha, we hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, the Nisham will have an Aliyah, and the family a Nechama. So with that, let us begin. So we're beginning, so if you take a look at number one, and you're going to see why I jumped back into this capital just a little bit. And in capital Memvav, in capital Memvav, so let's take a look. Lam Natseach al Alamos Shir. So again, David Amalek begins Lam Natseach for the conductor, Livne Korach, for the sons of Korach, Alamos Shir. Literally again, Alamos. Alamos, so there's a number of things that are quite intriguing and actually quite problematic. Not problematic, but fascinating about this particular capital. So first of all, again, the concept of Livne Korach, that the sons of Korach are being mentioned. But what I really want to draw your attention to is this word, Alamos. Because Alamos, if you notice, the English translation of of Alamos is... Alamos, right? Exceptionally helpful. So... There's a reason why that word remains unexplained and undefined, because we're going to see that it is quite an enigmatic word. But before we get into that, let's take a look at the general capital. So David HaMelech says, Elohim, lonu va'oz ezra b'tzaros God is for us a shelter and strength, a help in troubles. He is very accessible. Al-Kain, lonira mahamir eretz, ovamot harim b'leid yamim. Therefore, we will not fear when the earth changes and when the mountains totter into the heart of the seas. His water shall stir and be muddled, muddied. Mountains shall quake for his pride forever. The theme of this capital is David Amalek highlighting the idea that as difficult or as turbulent as the world may be, I have nothing to fear. Why do I have nothing to fear? Because I have the Ribbono Shalom. Because I have a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And once I have a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the Ribbono Shalom is able to steady me in all of the difficulties, all of the tumultuous circumstances and situations in life. This is a theme that we find repeated many times throughout Sefer Tehillim. David HaMelech finding himself in a constant state of existential turmoil and the way that he is able to navigate the storm, the way in which he is able to go ahead and truly make it through and quite literally make it through is by going ahead and relying on the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is his rock, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is his stability, that the Ribbono Shel Olam is by him every single step of the way. And again, you can even take a look towards the end of the capital in, in Pasuk 8, Pasuk Ches, Hashem Tzivakos Yimano Miskav Lano So this Pasuk really says it so beautifully. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress forever. David HaMelech was the first person to refer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a fortress. God, you know, David HaMelech refers to God in many different ways, but the notion of a fortress is uniquely Davidic. And David HaMelech uses that imagery many times. What does a fortress do? What does a fortress do? It protects. It protects. In David HaMelech's life experience, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He protects. Now, the reason why this is incredibly important is because it's always fascinating to see, Mashi, thank you very much. It's fascinating to see how 
we have different perceptions of HaKadosh Baruch. I'll give an example. The Medrash brings down that when Hashem appeared to Klal Yisrael by the splitting of the Yamsuf, by the splitting of the Red Sea, He appeared as a young, valiant warrior. That's what God looked like. Yet when God appeared to the Jewish people by Mount Sinai, Har Sinai, He appeared as a wizened old man. Now the truth is it makes a lot of sense because you imagine you're the Jewish people and you're by the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is in hot pursuit and imagine you see an old man in the heavens. What are you thinking to yourself? Oh God, right? Like literally like, oh God, like right, is this it? So in other words, it was important for them to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to perceive Hashem as a warrior, as young, as vital. Conversely, on Har Sinai, on Har Sinai, where we're receiving Torah, a wisdom that is older than time itself, the emotional takes on that image ultimately of an older man. I've often thought that it's always interesting to see how each, we each relate to Hashem differently. Right? And what, what, is, what is the way we relate to Hashem? What is that dependent on? Very often, what is it dependent on? Your, it could be your age, right? What else? More importantly than age, your circumstances, your life experiences. That's the truth. If someone has suffered a lot in life, their view of God is one way, and understandably so. If someone has lived a beautifully blessed existence with very little adversity and challenge, their perception of God is a different way. And the incredible part is, is there a right perception or a wrong perception? No. In fact, Rosh Hashanah Hirsch brings down, he says one of the reasons why when we begin Shemona Esrei, we begin with the bracha of Avos. Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Velokei Yaakov. Refer to the God as the God of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Why? Rav Hirsch says so beautifully, because Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov related to God in fundamentally different ways. Avram Avinu, first of all, quote-unquote, discovered God. So that, by definition, is something different, right? Yitzchak Avinu, again, wasn't the trailblazer of his father, wasn't the trailblazer of his father. Compared to the other Avos, compared to his father and his grandfather, he led a rather quiet life. Yaakov Avinu's life, difficulty, tragedy, adversity, pretty much like from the moment he was in the womb until the moment that he died, right? So each of them related to God in different ways. So one of the reasons we begin Shemona Esrei with this concept of is to highlight the incredible idea, which is we all have the same 630 mitzvahs, right? We all have the same obligations. We all have the same Shulchan Aruch. We all have the same Torah. But what changes Jew to Jew, person to person? Our conception and perception of God. And that's part of the unique individual relationship that each of us cultivates with Hashem. So what, whereas we all have the same Torah, I would venture to say not one of us has the same type of relationship with Hashem. And by the way, isn't that beautiful? It's the same way that there's no parent who has the same relationship with every single one of their children. Right? Every child has a different kind of relationship with a parent. So it's no different than with our father. Each, he has a different relationship with each of us, and each of us has a different relationship with him. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because the notion that David HaMelech refers to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a misgav, as, as, as a fortress, is because what did David HaMelech rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu for more than anything? What did he rely on God for? Protection. 
which in and of itself, if you think about it, is such a overwhelming, and I, I find personally like very sad reality of David Amalek's life. What he needed, you know, some people really need God for a parnasa. So we, we, we all need God for everything, but in people's perception, sometimes what, what's my most acute reliance is parnasa, because maybe that's the thing I struggle with. Other people, it's for health, because that's the thing I struggle with. Other people, it's a shidduch, it's, it's children, it's all different kinds of things. For David HaMelech, what he struggled with most was a sense of security. Because in David HaMelech's life, everyone who he knew at some point in time turned against him. Now, it's a little bit hyperbolic. It wasn't everyone. It wasn't everyone, but it was almost everyone. In other words, you could count on one hand the number of people who did not turn against him. Let's say it like that. Right? It's easier to count the people who did not turn on David than to count the people who did turn on David. So David Mel's perception of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, you're my fortress. You protect me. You protect me against everything that's in this world. But isn't it incredible that from a theological perspective, what doesn't protection mean? I know that's a terribly worded question, right? But what doesn't protection mean? Protection doesn't afford you what? A guarantee, or to say it a little bit differently, protection doesn't afford you protection. What do I mean by that? The notion of protection we assume means protection prevents something from happening to me. In the theological sense, protection doesn't necessarily prevent. So what does protection do? Protection gives me the strength to get back up. Protection gives me the strength to say, you know what? This was a difficult situation. This was a difficult circumstance. I have to weather this storm, but I'm not down and out. I'm not down and out. So it's an incredibly important idea. And this is very important in general because sometimes we become very disillusioned with God when we ask for something or we ask for a particular type of salvation and it doesn't come through. We feel let down. Maybe we even feel betrayed. But that's because we sometimes have a skewed understanding of what divine protection means. Divine protection may not be preventative protection. So it may not prevent the difficulties or the tragedies from occurring. But divine protection says, I protect you from crumbling. Right? I protect you ultimately. Again, so I have a, here. I didn't, I didn't drink from it. No, I'm good. I drink before share. So this is incredibly important because protection isn't necessarily prevention, right? So sometimes, again, even with the protection, and the truth is like, I've been thinking a lot about this because the truth is, you know, we follow the news that happens in Eretz Yisrael. And just today, the third terror attack within the course of a week, right? Be'er Sheva, Chadera, B'nai Brak, this, this evening, five people killed in a terror attack. You know, you, you think to yourself, remember, these are the same streets in B'nai Brak that just a, a week ago, a week ago, were filled with Jews giving cover to the God Lahadar, to Reb Chaim. The, there's a certain overwhelming thing when you speak about like, the reality and the life of our nation. So sometimes it like leaves you wondering, what is it? Like, what else could we do 
to, to earn God's protection. What else could I do? What else could we do as a nation to be earning God's protection? Right? What else? You're never going to find Baali Chesed greater than Klal Yisrael. You're never going to find a nation that is so steeped in human kindness. The nation that is, and by the way, it's human kindness. It's not just, you know, it's, it's not, I have to tell you something amazing, just as an aside. I had this host to be in Eretz Yisrael last, last week in one of the meetings that, that I had was with the Minister of Aliyah Absorption, and she was talking about the Ukrainians who are coming in, and you know, she said something amazing. She said, we know that about half of them who are coming in are not Jewish. Are not Jewish. She said, we're not asking anyone what their religion is. If they need a haven, if they need a place, the state of Israel is swinging its doors wide open. Where else in the world do you have a nation like this? Where, where else do you have a nation like this? And then you see these tragedies occur, and you wonder, like, HaKadosh Baruch where's the protection? But David HaMelech says, no, that's because you're assuming protection means prevention. Difficult things happen. Tragic things happen. And that is part of the fabric of the human condition. Divine protection is HaKadosh Baruch who protects us from giving up. He protects us from crumbling. He protects us from falling down and losing the will to get back up. And that is the greatest level of protection. Because to think that we're going to be shielded from all the adversity in life, no. No, there's never a guarantee like that. There's never been a promise made like that. Never, never, never. Adversity is part of the fabric of the human condition. But the protection is, I promise, no matter how intense the adversity is, I will always be by your side, whispering in your ear, holding your hand, encouraging you. You could do this. You can get back up. You could start again. You could regroup. That's the fortress of David HaMelech. But let's focus for the few minutes we have together on the word alamos. Right? That's what I want to spend the whole shir tonight on. Just one word. So what's alamos? So here, the Mepharshim have a couple of different approaches. Rashi says in number two, Alalamos, shame shall kli, shall kli share, bedira yamim. So Rashi says, Rashi says, and in fact, again, the Radak says the same idea. He says, Alamos means it's an instrument. Now we found this, it's the name of an instrument, type of instrument. We've seen this many times throughout our journeys in Sefer Tehillim, which is that David HaMelech not only, compu- not only composed the music for the Levitic choir, but what else did he do? He also told the choir which instrument to use. So therefore, again, they approached Lamatzeach, to the, remember Lamatzeach is the conductor, the conductor of the Levitic choir, Livnei Korach, again, we'll have to save Livnei Korach for a different time, Al Alamos. Ultimately, when you play this song, this should be played with the Alamos instrument. Okay, if you take a look at number four, in the Sefer Zere Yaakov, he takes a different approach. And he says, Al Olamos, he listen to this, he says, Al Olamos, Roshe Tevos, Al Maves. The Zere Yaakov says in number four, Alamos is a contraction of two words. Al Maves, literally on top of death or transcending death. According to the Zerah Yaakov, the entire theme of this particular chapter is a reference to the Messianic era. What's one of the incredible hallmarks of the Messianic era? Ultimately, we transcend death. How do we transcend death? 
resurrection, death will go away. Now this, by the way, is a, an interesting topic by itself, which is, at the end of the day, what does happen with death in the Messianic era? Is it that no one dies? That would seem to be highly improbable, because at the end of the day, life is only meaningful because there is death, right? Without death, if life becomes an infinite renewable resource, then the truth is, can you imagine, you know, what your garage is going to look like, right? Imagine we procrastinate now, and I know that I'm going to die one day. Imagine what happens if I thought I was immortal, or if I was immortal, what my life, like, what's the motivation to accomplish anything? Whatever you don't get done now, you'll get to next century. You know, do it next century, you get in five centuries from now. There's no push. We don't realize it. That's why when the Pasuk says, at the end of creation, God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. The Medrash says, what was very good? Zehu Hamavas. The best thing God created was death. Sounds a little bit strange, and a little bit morose, but if you think about it, it's absolutely true. Because there is no greater motivator in life than death. There is no greater motivator than knowing that my life one day will come to an end. I hope it'll be very long, but the truth is we know not how many years we have on this earth. That in and of itself is the greatest motivator to move, to do, to accomplish, to change. So therefore the Zari Yaakov says something amazing. This is a song to be sung. This is a song to be sung. Al-Mavis, when we transcend death. When does mankind transcend death? The Messianic era. Yemos HaMashiach. And in fact, the Medrash says over here, number five, Zehu Shamar HaKasuv, Oseg Gidolos Ad Ein Cheker, V'Niflaos Ad Ein Mispar. In Adam Yochol Esapra Gidolosa, V'Niflaos Av Shalak Kodesh Baruch Hu. V'Cheinu Omer, actually, let me skip down to number six. Look at Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch echoes this same idea. And he says, Al-Alomos Shir, he says, are the secrets of life. Now, watch what's just happened over here. And this is, I, I'm always riveted by this because the truth is like, this is the beauty of Torah. There's one word, right? We're going to have a whole shear on one word. And what's incredible about it? The diversity of opinion about how to explain that one word. Rashi says, Alamos, what is everybody getting all excited about? It's an instrument. It's an instrument, right? The Zerah Yaakov, oh no, no, it's not an instrument, it's a contraction. Al-Moves, this capital about the greatness of God is a reference to the Messianic era. Rav Sham Hirsch, something dramatically different. Number six, Al-Olamos, listen to how Rav Hirsch says, Al-Olamos means, literally again, Al, Al means on top of, Olamos, worlds. Worlds, meaning what? There are the secrets the mysteries of life, that which is hidden to others and can be sensed only the ecstasy of song. So if Hirsch says something so beautiful over here, which is, is singing a song, about the things ultimately again that are on top of the world. On top of the world, so ultimately again, what does this refer to? Rav Hirsch says, Okay. Okay. Rav Hirsch says it refers ultimately again to the things, the mysteries, the secrets of the world that are almost like 
above the world in its entirety. So again, you have, you have the Zerah Yaakov talking about the idea that it's reference to the Messianic era. The Medrash number five, I just pointed out over here, also understands that it refers to the way that God runs the world, the mysteries of God. That there are things that God does in this world which we simply do not understand. We simply do not understand. Rav Shamshunofal Hirsch, same idea. Al Olamos, ultimately those things which are on top of the world, the great mysteries of life. So I want to use this as a springboard. I know we weren't supposed to start. Next week is our pre-Pesach shir. But the truth is I'm chomping at the bit a little bit for Pesach. Right? So I want to show you something amazing that actually fits into this capital so beautifully. If you take a look at number seven, just to show you the beginning of the Haggadah. I hope discussion of, the, of, the, of Pesach is not a trigger for anyone over here, right? So, okay, so, let, let's, so let's take a look. So the Haggadah says something really beautiful. The Haggadah says, how do we start the Haggadah? This is the beginning of the section of Magid, Manishtana. Good, everyone's familiar with Manishtana. So Manishtana, let's just go through this very quickly. We ask four questions. Four questions. Why is this night, or really it's how is this night, different from all other nights? So again, no, question number one. Every night we eat leavened or unleavened products. Tonight only matzah. Okay, that's question one. Number two. Every other night we eat whatever vegetables we want. Tonight the focus is on murder. Question number three. Every other night we don't even dip once. Tonight, we dip twice. A reference to the dipping of karpas, a reference to the dipping of mar. Question number four. Every, we, every other night, we go out and we eat, either sitting up straight or reclining. Tonight, we all recline. Good. No surprises here. We've been asking these same four questions for a few thousand years. Right? These are the four questions. The fear kashas. Right? The four questions of Manishtana. Right after Manishtana is what we would assume is the section of Avadim Hayinu, which we assume is what? If you're reading the Haggadah, how do you look at this next paragraph? What is it? Answer. It's an answer. So what's the answer? Avadim Hayinu leparo b'mitzrayim. We were servants to Paro in Egypt. Vayotzi'inu Hashem alokeinu misham biyad chazaka ubizroa nituya. And ultimately, again, Hashem took us out from Mitzrayim with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That's the answer to all four questions. What's the problem? Doesn't really seem to answer the questions, right? Remember, we're asking very specific, practical questions about why the night of the Seder is fundamentally different than any other night. And the answer is, God took us out of Egypt. So how does the answer reconcile to the question? So if you take a look at number eight, so I'll show you something beautiful. In this, in this is a, like a compendium Haggadah. The Otsumar Farshi Haggadah quotes over here the Ritva on the right-hand side. Avadah, you know, Kasaf HaRitva. Zeot Chilas Haggadah. Uchuas Manashtana Lefisha Avadah, you know, Paro Mitzrayim. So the Ritva says, this is indeed to be construed as an answer. The answer to all of the questions, there's one answer to all of the questions. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. He goes on. L'dasa Abu Draham. So again, let's go through this. So I understand how this answers matzah. 
Right? Why do we eat matzah tonight? Because remember, again, we were slaves in Egypt. God took us out. And God took us out so quickly that what? That what? The bread didn't have time to rise. So it answers matzah. It also answers why we eat maror. Why do we eat maror? Right? To remember the bitterness of the servitude. Ultimately, again, we also understand why, based on this, why we recline. Because we were servants to Pharaoh. God took us out. We're free. And how do free people eat? Apparently, at least historically, how did free people eat? They recline. They recline. He goes on. He goes on. I'm looking at the next paragraph. Three paragraphs down on the right hand side. So listen to this. So, so far, what we have is like this. We ask four questions. We give one answer. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt and God took us out. So what the Abu Draham is commenting is, well, the truth is that answer actually works. It tells me why we eat matzah, because God took us out of Egypt and he took us out quickly. It tells me why we eat maror, because we were slaves. It also tells me why we recline, because behaviorally we are demonstrating our newfound freedom. What doesn't it answer? What doesn't it answer? Dipping. So interestingly enough, he explains that's by design. That's by design. Why is it by design? Why do we do all of these dippings on the night of the Seder? So the Gemara says, it's actually not for any particular reason other than to do something strange, to get the children to ask questions. There is no deeper halachic, hashkafic, moral message embedded in the dipping. It's just there because it is a departure from the norm. We want to keep the children engaged. How do you keep the children engaged? Ultimately do things that look strange, with the hope that ultimately they're going to ask, why are you doing this? So it's actually a beautiful explanation. So the phrase, the one phrase or the one statement, Avadim Hayinu answers three out of the four questions. The fourth question about dipping doesn't have an answer because at the end of the day, there's no real rhyme or reason why I'm doing it. I'm just doing it in order that I'm doing it so it looks strange because I want the children to ultimately ask questions. Now here's what's interesting. If you take a look at number nine, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman has a different approach. And this is really quite, quite beautiful. Rabbi Nachman says as follows. Look at number nine. So Rabbi Nachman says, I don't understand. I don't understand. What is the core obligation of the Leil HaSeh? Let's think about this just more. We'll talk about this more next week. But what is the core obligation of the Seder experience? What's the core obligation? Tell the story. Tell the story to who? Really to the next generation, right? Now, again, it could be your children. It could be your parents. It could be your friends. It could be the people at the table. The idea over here is transmission. That's the idea. That's the idea. You know, what, one, one of the most incredible things. Yeah, good. It's transmission. So Rabbi Nachman says like this. If it's transmission, right? If that's my goal to transmit the story, then if my child is asking four questions, what should I do? What should I do? I should answer them fully. In other words, 
It's very interesting that we just saw how Avadim Hayginu Lepara B'Mitzrayim could technically answer three out of the four questions, and the dipping question doesn't really get an answer. But why are we answering questions that way? Right? The whole point of this, if my child is asking me those questions, my job as a parent is to teach. My job as a parent is to transmit, is to share. So why am I answering like shorthand? Right? I could sum up all of your questions in one phrase. Why don't I say, oh, mamala, tatala, here's why we go ahead and we eat the matzah and go into a whole thing. By the way, we do it. We do it later on in the Haggadah, right? Where do we do it later on? By Rabbi Gamliel, Haya Omer, right? We do explain Pesach, Matzah, Marer. We do actually explain that later on. But why over here answer it shorthand? And look what the Rabbi says. He says something so beautiful. Three lines down in number nine. So Binachman says, you know, here's what's funny. If you take a look at so many of the things we do in Judaism, let's be honest. If you're an outsider and you're looking at this stuff, what does it look like? It looks weird, right? You know, I always laugh. We always have a laugh at my, at my Seder table. Like the best part of the Seder is Korech, right? It's always the, it's, it's, it's so funny to watch, right? We're taking two pieces of matzah. We're putting some lettuce in there, dipping it in charoses. And everybody's got these beautifully crafted sandwiches. And the sandwich lasts until one bite, right? One bite. And literally, again, the, the table's so beautiful and everything is so wonderful. Everybody's dressed so nicely. And literally, like in 3.4 seconds, there's 15 pounds of matzah on the floor, right? It's like, like it's a matzah meal up to my knees, right? There's lettuce, there's this, there's that. It's like, it's a culinary catastrophe, right? Like, it, it's just, it's so weird. It's so, it happens to be as an aside. That's because, by the way, we know from here that in times of the Beis Hamikdash, they used soft matzahs. They did not use shmura matzah like we have wafers. They used soft matzah. That's why korech means not a sandwich. Korech means a wrap. They would make a lafa. They'd make a shawarma. They had, they had lamb. They had carbon pesach, which was lamb. You put in their lamb. You put it in your, in your wrap, in your, in your soft matzah. With, I, they ate kidneys back then also. So you can even have hummus. You can even put hummus in there, right? So you can go ahead. That, that's literally what they have. So, okay, we have a zikr. Think about this even more. Right to eat matzah. So you ever have a seder that's running a little bit late, running a little bit late, and you're butting up against chatzos, halachic midnight, and you did not eat the afikoman, right? Can you imagine, like, if somebody was live streaming this event, right? Such civilized, orderly people, and suddenly, like, human vacuum cleaners, right? Right? As much matzah as the human mouth could go ahead and contain, because I did a kazayas, maybe two kazayasim, and this, that, it's strange. It's strange. And the truth is, Rabbi Nachman says, even a lot of stuff we do during the year, there's a lot of strange stuff. It's, and a lot of the things that we do, a lot of things that we do, we do zechali to remember the Exodus. So Rabbi says, how do you like understand sometimes the strangeness of some of our practices and the fact that everything is linked to the Exodus? And the Rebbe says something so beautiful. He goes on, he says, and even dipping, 
And even dipping, right? We're dipping, right? We're, I'm dipping, I'm dipping stuff in charoses. I'm dipping stuff in salt water. Why are we dipping everything in everything? What, what is all of this? He goes on, he says, not only that, Think about this in just a moment. If you're cooking for Shabbos, you're cooking your chicken soup, right? And a little bit of milk, a tiny speck of milk, falls into your chicken soup pot. What's the status of your chicken soup? Absolutely kosher. Yet if you're cooking soup for Pesach, and a tiny, minuscule piece of challah falls into your soup, done. The Rebbe says, how do you understand that? Right? At the end of the day, how does one understand that? That chametz is asr b'mashuhu? That at the end of the day, chametz, chametz again, a tiny little bit of chametz could destroy everything? And the Rebbe says something so beautiful over here. He says, So skip down a little bit. Skip down. He says, he, 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 he delves into the whole issue of chametz over here. He says, I don't understand why chametz is totally usher. He gives an interesting mashal. Sukkis. The umtav of sukkis. Right? Where are you supposed to move your life for the umtav of sukkis? Into your sukkah. So Rabbi says, tell me, is my house usher during sukkis? Right? Does my, house, does my house become totally... You can't go in the house. No matter what. You can't go, a house is usher over sukkis. So I said, I don't understand. A sukkah, I'm supposed to live in the sukkah. My primary dwelling is supposed to be in the sukkah. But I can't enter into my house. Yet by Pesach, chametz is not only usher, but you can't have it, you can't own it, you can't see it. What's going on here? So skip down to the second paragraph in number nine. Here the Rebbe writes, he says, Rak be'emes, yesh shaychus gadol, inyan yetzias mitzrayim, l'chal ha-Torah kula, o l'chal ha-mitzos u-pratehem. Aval anu ein mavinin kolze bepratios. Says the Rebbe, here's what we know. Here's what we know. Embedded in every single mitzvah and embedded in every single detail is HaKadosh Baruch Hu in His great wisdom. But often, I just don't understand it. Aval be'emes ze'ikr hatikun. Shemodiyin lo shekola shinuyim shebalayla hazos the Rebbe goes on essentially says, Do you know what we teach our children on the night of the Seder? We teach our children the concept of emuna, of belief. And you know what belief is? It's not called belief if you understand it. And it's not called belief if you could rationally appreciate it. And it's not called belief if it makes sense to you. The beauty of emuna and the beauty of belief is a willingness to submit to something even though I don't understand it. Even though I have absolutely no idea. I don't understand the dipping. I don't understand the chametz. I don't understand so many things that I do in my Yiddishkeit. I don't understand it. But I believe it. And I don't have to understand it to believe it. Because what Amuna ultimately means is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I give myself over to you. And I give myself over to your Torah. And I give myself over to your mitzvot. And I just give myself over to your service 
in my entirety. And says Rabbi Nachman, that's the answer we give our children. Right? You see, if you look at that God, it's something amazing. So we asked the Manashtana four very specific questions, right? Why do we do this, 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 and this? Now, do we give complete answers? Do we give complete answers? Yeah, we do. Over the course of the Haggadah, we do explain why we do all these different things. We do. But the first answer I give my child, the first answer I give at the Seder is, Avadim hayinu leparo We were once slaves. And Hashem took us out of servitude. And we followed Him out of Egypt. Let's be clear. God didn't kidnap us from Egypt. He didn't kidnap us. We had a choice to go or a choice to stay. And remember again, three-fifths of our people, three-fifths of our people stayed behind in Egypt. They did not come out. Those of us who left, from whom we descend, went out willingly and followed God into the desert. As the Navi says, Hashem says, I remember the kindness of your youth. Hashem says, we did a kindness for him. What was the kindness we did for God? We followed him out. We followed him out. So the first answer we give is, before we start getting into details, before we start getting into reasons, let's be clear on one thing. We do what we do because we believe. And belief doesn't mean understanding. And belief doesn't mean comprehending. And belief doesn't mean that intellectually I could explain anything and everything. But I believe and I give myself over to my God and to my Torah. Why? Because once upon a time I was a slave. And Hashem took me out. And do you know why Hashem took me out? He took me out to have a relationship. He took me out so I could be a best version of myself. He took me out so I could self-actualize. And therefore, I give myself over to him. The first lesson of the Haggadah has nothing to do with intellect and everything to do with your neshama. In fact, and we'll talk about this more next week, you know what the entire essence of the Haggadah is? The entire essence is to dull the intellect and to amplify the neshama. That's the whole avoda. And what's the proof to that? How do you end off? Isn't it incredible? How do you end off the Seder night? What's the last piece of the uh, Seder, the last piece? It's, it's, actually, it's, it's actually after the Haggadah. Shira Shirim. Shira Shirim is a love song. It's a love song between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Klal Yisrael. Shira Shirim is not intellect. Shira Shirim is all heart. Shira Shirim is all neshama. It's all soul. Because the goal, see, it's an interesting thing. We are an intellectual people. But sometimes the goal is not to be the intellectual. Sometimes the goal is not to rattle off 15 answers for every single thing. Sometimes the goal is not to have the good vart, right? The, the, the good idea. Sometimes the goal is just to say, you know what, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? I love you. I love you. Why do I love you? I don't know, if somebody were to ask you, why do you love your child? Why do you love your spouse? Why do you love your parents? Why do you love your friends? Could you articulate why? You don't have to explain why you love someone. You just know that you do. Avadim hayinu lepara b'mitzrayim vayotzeinu. Shem, you took us out. You took me out. And for that, I am forever grateful. For that, I am eternally indebted. And for that, I am literally 
in love with you? That's the answer, says Rabbi Nachman, we give to the four questions. Four intellectual questions, great questions. We don't answer with intellect. We answer with heart. We answer with soul. We answer with emotion. There's a place for intellect a little bit later on in the Haggadah. But the whole essence of the Leil HaSeder is to develop a feeling of love for the Ribbono Shel Olam. And an acceptance, and I think this is something really important, an acceptance that what true emuna means, you know, there's like a phrase, what is it that, uh, what is it loving someone is never having to say I'm sorry? Which is the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. It doesn't make any sense, right? But, but whatever, but like, you know, what, is, what, what does it mean ultimately to be in love with us? What does it mean to have emuna? To have emuna means I accept the fact I'm not going to understand things. I, I accept it. I accept that I'm not going to understand. And it's okay not to understand. Because very simply, Kodesh Baruch Hu runs the world and I don't. So of course I'm not going to understand so many things that he does. And Amuna is the process through which I accept that I won't understand and I get comfortable with not understanding. That's the avoda of the Seder. To fall in love with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that love, that love is, I trust you. I know you always look out for me. I am in your service. I am committed to you. I am okay with the fact that I'm not going to understand things that happened to me in my life. And I certainly won't understand things that happened to Klal Yisrael. That's the avoda. If we bring this full circle, this is what David HaMalach was saying as well. Remember again, let's go full circle. Now back to number one for just a moment. What did David Amalek say in the beginning of chapter 46 in Tilim? La Natseach Libne Korach Al Olamos. And Rav Shamshun of Al Hirsch said in number six, bless you, what's Al Olamos? Al Olamos means the things, the mysteries, the secrets of life, the things that are above this world. I know what David Amalek is teaching us? La Natseach. Sometimes the greatest song you could sing in life is when you're able to reach the level of accepting the fact that I don't understand the things God does. But I love Him anyway. I don't understand why you do these things. I don't understand why certain things occur. I write, it's alolomos. Some of the things you do at Kaddish Baruch like, are above this world that I don't understand it. But I'm not seach. But I love you anyway. I accept you anyway. I am embedded with you anyway. A person who is able to reach that emuna, lamnatzeach. That is the greatest song that one could sing. You know, I will tell you, as I get older, I begin to see that there is so much more profundity in the neshama and in emotion than there is in intellect. Intellect is important, right? Because remember, again, emotion without intellect is like a runaway train. Right? But the problem is, intellect without emotion is a dry experience. There obviously has to be a hybrid, has to be a combination of the two. But it appears that what David HaMelech is saying is, sometimes the greatest song and the greatest feeling of joy that a person could experience is when they reach true emuna, And true emuna is encapsulated in one word, al-olamos, that there are things that God is going to do that are above this world, that I'm just never going to understand. I can't understand it, but I accept it. I can't understand it, and I'm comfortable 
with not understanding it. And again, as we saw, like Rabbi Nachman says, this becomes the avoda of the Leil HaSeder. So we begin, right, and everyone's gearing up for an intellectual experience, four great questions, good targeted questions, matzah, dipping, marrer, reclining, excellent questions. And what do we say? Stop, stop. Before we start discussing the intellectual underpinnings of Judaic practice, here's what I want to tell you. I believe in Hashem. I love Hashem. He took me out of Egypt. He allowed me to become me. He took me as his own and I took him as mine. I love him. I accept the fact that I don't understand many of the things that he does. And I'm comfortable with that. That was the great lesson of David HaMelech. The greatest song David HaMelech said we could sing is the song of Amuna. And on the night of Pesach, when we experience a rebirth, when we experience a renaissance, we're going to accomplish many things over the night of the Seder. But the first thing we want to accomplish is to try to become true Baalei Amuna. So we should be Zohar Merz Hashem. Because the truth is, I think that this really may be one of the challenges of our generation. Because if you think about it, we have access to learning like we've never had before. Right? Learning is at our fingertips anyway, right? You can learn in any language, anytime, anywhere, any platform, any format. So no longer is access to learning a problem. But it's interesting that I think we begin to see that as there has been like a proliferation of intellectual Judaism, the challenge now becomes in the realm of emuna, of devekos, of just a pure and simple connection with Hashem. Not one that is based in the intellect and not one that is based on profound, dramatic, deep understanding, but the emunah of like a pasha yid, of just a simple Jew, of just a simple Jew who knows his father, who loves his father, and is willing to accept that sometimes the father does things that the child doesn't understand. But the child accepts that and gets comfortable with that. That was David HaMelech's legacy to us. And that's one of our missions over the course of the Seder as well. So we'll stop over here for tonight. Emir Tashem next week is our pre, I guess tonight was our pre-Pesach shir as well. But Emir Tashem next week is our complete pre-Pesach shir. Emir Tashem and again, Yashakach to everyone. Have a wonderful evening.